Hello everyone, today you have Jake and Seth, and we're going to discuss the 1999 Tim Burton film, Sleepy Hollow, starring Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, Michael Gambone, and Casper Van Dien, and Miranda Richardson. Can't forget the Van Dien, man, there's very few movies you can reference with him. <laughs> the Van Dien, I was, I was going to ask, at one point he's coming up with my questions later, but... Talk about your peak. This was the the very end of that ride for Casper Van Dien. Okay, I'm sorry. The movie came out in the fall of 99. It did pretty well on a budget of 70 million. It made 207 million, which is almost three times. So it's good. It was pretty well received from what I recall. Uh, just in the, the buzz at the time, I remember seeing it. Uh, I think I saw it a few times. It has a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes wasn't a thing at the time, so that's why I'm saying it, it felt good. So now it retroactively has a 69%. Sorry, falling too much into the gaps there. Seth, this was, I really like this movie. I actually saw this movie with my sister when she was back from college. We saw it in theaters, and I remember really enjoying it. I really only knew Burton at that time from Beetlejuice and more from Batman. I knew he did these other films. I hadn't really seen them, though. So for me, this I was pleasantly surprised with how adult this was at the at the time as as a, as a kid in that time. I, I I and even now it's you don't see many R-rated action thriller historical pieces with the all this type of magic and you just don't see this combination of film very often. And right. I didn't appreciate it at the time for that, but that's one of the reasons why I like it more now. I'm sorry, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I really like this film. I liked it at the time. I was saying to Seth before off, off pod or off camera or whatever that it was a little diminished in my eye and I still really like it, but it definitely lost a little bit of something. And I'm going to ask Seth about that later, about what I think that might be. But uh, but I'm sorry. I've been going on for way too long. Seth, what would, when did you see this movie? What did you think of Rewatch? Yeah, so I, I mean, I can remember watching this in a movie theater um, it, I, it reminded me, you know, Depp and, um, Depp and Tim Burton were, were just really big at this point in time. And so I think that kind of speaks to the box office numbers more so than like the quality of the movie. Although I do think the the movie itself is kind of interesting. If you look at Depp's career, I mean, he really isn't making horror movies for, for the most part. Beetlejuice is mostly a comedy with dark subjects. Uh, Edward Scissorhands is kind of like an abstract art movie. With, with like gothic themes and stuff, but they're not horror movies. And like, in my opinion, this is really the first time where he leans fully into the horror genre. And that's kind of what makes it more interesting from his career. And like, I actually think he came, he he left the Nick Cage Superman project and like went into this movie is kind of what was going on in his career where like that Nick Cage thing fell apart. And then this was like a good movie with Depp with a good screenplay. Andrew Kevin Walker, by the way, screenwriter of Seven, and uh, parts of Fight Club, uh, well-known screenwriter in Hollywood, wrote this screenplay. The, I, I, I don't have you ever read the book, Jake? The Sleepy Hollow one. Yeah, the Washington Irving novel. A long time ago, I read it at one point in either elementary school or middle school. But I didn't yeah, I can. I remember reading it in like high school or something. Um, but the big difference between the book and this movie is that the Ichabod Crane, the main character, is a he's a school teacher in the book, and so like that the big change i think that Andrew kevin walker made was making him a police policeman and doing it more of like a criminal kind of procedural type of type of movie 
Yeah, um, he, he also makes him more of a hero. It's it's a short story, and so it's in. If this were going to be a movie, you would think that he would die in the opening sequence because of the Drew Basin on the short story. Because really, yeah. Um, but with the, but yeah, it's a different setup. Again, I, I'm kind of going off topic here. It. I thought I remember reading the story, and I just remember I read it. And I remember feeling like this was whatever vision this was, the horror. There's a lot of action in it, too. I really liked it. I remember being a lot more exciting than what I thought the story was. Yeah. I also, the the actual mystery of the story and, like, who in this town is controlling this Headless Horseman thing is not as interesting as, like, the imagery that's at play, sort of. And, like, um, I actually think it, it, it won an Oscar for Best Art Direction, I'm pretty sure, and was nominated for Cinematography. So, like, it was, like critically, on that on that level, it was really high-end and elite. I, and, I mean, watching the movie, honestly, the atmosphere of it is what striked me more so than anything else. It's just, like, all the outdoor, the fog, the lighting, you know, the, the silhouettes, and, and uh, you know, just the, the image of a headless horseman on horseback with the sword. Also, what struck me, what like you said, the R rating... I think there's about 18 or 20 decapitations. And, like, I mean, we were getting on Apocalypto for the decapitations, but, like, this movie is kind of no-holds-barred in terms of, like, just slicing heads off left and right here. 100%, but there's also a little different tone. Yeah. If, if, if they were dead serious and this was, like, a real English colonial drama with, all like, 30 decapitations, I, I don't think it would uh, go down so smoothly. But you're 100% right. The level of decapitations it's i don't want to say I, no, I didn't remember it being that gruesome for some reason but i was like wow they're just straight up cutting heads off and showing me the neck and doing all kinds of stuff here. that was yeah there's some spurts there and they, yeah they they, they <laughs> hold on to a couple of the scenes they're they, they're not afraid to lean into it but i didn't mind that i think that I agree. And like, like I, you know, Burton does it. I mean, it's it's weird to say this, but he does it artistically, and it, like it fits into his setting and everything. I was just going to say, shocking. I apologize to cut you off, but I was just going to say it's artistic when he does it. I'm sorry, throwing it back to you. Yeah, but. no, yeah, it's like, and like it's just like I think Gibson plays it more for shock value, and with Burton, it's like he kind of knows how to envelop it into his setting, and it all kind of makes. But it, it's just not as sh- I don't know. It did it did like strike me when I rewatched it, so. I mean, a good portion of this movie takes place on the road, which is probably the most boring concept in the world. It's them, <laughs> yeah. people in carriages, but they're getting chased by this mysterious monster, and there's an action sequence, and it just feels like... I I don't want to say this is his apex mountain or his peak, but it feels like him doing some of his best work. Like, he's taking, I feel like, a lot of disparate things, and... I, I grant. I know that it's a different the screenplays by Andrew Kevin Walker. A lot of other people were in this, but as director, I got to give him credit. This is a really weird, ambitious movie that touches on a lot of things, but I think it all works. And it also has a big ensemble cast. It's a period piece, a romance, yeah. a horror, an action thriller, a mystery. It's really they're throwing everything at the wall for the most part. I mean, not everything lands. We'll get into that later, I'm sure. But I, I really like it. I just. I like it. And even saying it after all that, it's, I like it. And still there are a couple flaws in it that, that I see that you know, upon rewatch stick out. But I to think, your point, all the well, technical yeah. aspects feel on point. I do think like 
like the production wise, this might be Burton's sort of. I, I love, for me, uh, like Scissorhands, Batman, and Beetlejuice are kind of the three movies that I would be like. One of those three is his best movie. Um, but like this does have this element of, of the outdoors and like a setting that the others don't quite have. Um, but it's it's just like, <laughs> well. Uh, Tell me what how you feel about the Johnny Depp performance in this movie because I was having real a real struggle sort of like trying to evaluate what he was doing. Okay, so I'm glad you asked because <laughs> I didn't this didn't occur to me as I was watching, and I know what you mean. This is a weird role. Burton always has Depp in weird roles, like Edward Scissorhands was weird, but this role it's it's so I don't want to say off key because it works in this film. So this is my take on the character himself. He's like the fool knight. He is the fool who's forced to be the knight, or he is, if it's like a classic storybook, he's the pauper who gets to pretend to be a prince, whatever it is. He's just completely out of his depth and is thrust into a situation beyond his control. But whether through good fortune or just sheer luck, he bumbles his way through victory or whatever it may be. But that's not 100% accurate. And so I, I came to the conclusion that I think this character is the prototype or the, it is the step towards Jack Sparrow. It is the predecessor to Jack Sparrow. I felt that way too. Um, and I felt like, I felt, see, I feel like the scissor hands character, even though it's super weird, it's a fucking guy with scissors for hands. I actually think he's that like, that to me is like Depp's real, uh, sort of breakout, busting out star kind of performance where it's like no other actor could have given that role as a guy with scissors for hands and actually given the like emotional depth and all that. And it's like, it really is an interesting performance if you go back and watch that. This to me was suddenly like all this other stuff that he's putting in, all these other idiosyncrasies and like all this tense. And I know that the, the character Ichabod Crane is supposed to be this very uptight, uh, weird character and has all these like nervousness and stuff, but it's like, what Deb's doing in this movie is almost not, it's almost like Nick Cage kind of acting where he's, he has all these ticks and weird and weird things going on, but you're right. It reminded me a lot more of uh, the Jack Sparrowness and all that kind of stuff more so than it did like serious acting at times, but also, I don't know. There, there's a couple dramatic scenes. I did think he was like, uh, sort of like piercing in a way. And I, I but other times he's just kind of goofy I don't know. It, there's a, it was hard for me to like really pin down what was happening. <laughs> I know what you mean. The character, excuse the excuse the use of the. I, I know what the right term is for it. It's there's a lot of range, and I don't mean that necessarily as a compliment. I, I think it generally works, but he's a different character when he's speaking to the town elders than he is. Yeah. Again, and granted, I get that's normal for people and characters to be different around different people. He's going to be different around them than he is around Katrina, but then he's somewhat different around the kid and he's someone different around the elders as individuals. And then as a group, like it's just, he, they, yeah, they also kind of try to play it. Like he's this, uh, he's this like very reasoned cop or like police person from New York that has to go out to the country and like solve this crime with this supernatural element. And they're like, when it turns out to actually be supernatural, I found it interesting how he like kind of stuck to his reasons and figured out who had the motives and stuff and like narrows it down to the right person or whatever. But 
the fact that it was like there is actually a headless guy on a horse cutting people's heads off, uh, you know, I feel like that should have shocked him a little more or something. Well, the thing I love about it is we talked about The Outsider recently. Well, not recently, but we released it recently. And I was re-listening to that. And the whole concept of that is what happens when a, a good, logical cop, smart cop, runs into a right. supernatural entity. And the answer in that is the answer in this, which is the answer which should probably be to any problem to someone who's good and qualified in their profession, whatever, is a good person. Just solve the problem. Like, yeah. don't, don't get caught up in the details. Figure out who's actually doing it. And I didn't appreciate that till this time. And I, I knew, knew it before, but that there is that scene halfway through the film after that initial encounter that comes a little too late, I think, where he decides that he's going to figure out what's going on one way or another and he's just going to solve the murder. Right. Literally, the devil be damned, whatever whatever comes of it. And uh, so it's weird. So like, he has these admirable traits. To me, that he's not he's dissimilar to Jack Sparrow in the details, but when I just look at him in broad strokes, he's a very physical humor. The fighting is this kind of haphazard. Yeah. Like, he just reminds me of this Like, fool. barely rides a horse. <laughs> exactly. Like, just reminds me of this, like, full night. He's just bumbling his way through it, but he's... And you're kind of wondering, is, is he a genius or an idiot or a little bit of both? And yeah. the other thing, just the, just the, and I'll end it on this, this is very broad but he and Sparrow were both very smart, misunderstood, and still stood out in different ways, but were out like somewhat outcasts in a rough colonial society. Like there, there's there, and I'm gonna end it there because it really is tenuous at best. But there's just so there's so much about it. Then maybe it's not Sparrow's brother or cousin. Maybe it's like the, a distant relative, like a third cousin. But there, there's some DNA shared between the characters. It did. There were parts of it. I mean, I'll say this: it's kind of weird to have that as the center of your movie, as the like this kind of weird alienated guy with all these nervous tics and stuff. Where it's like, if you have someone with like a little bit of swagger and like a little bit of uh, you know charisma, I th- it's like a different kind of movie. Not that he has to be like Han Solo, but I just think that's a different movie than it, like to to have the like weird. Uh, but it's like it's also it wouldn't fit the I get. <laughs> I know, no, I know what you mean because it's yeah. almost like they're they're doubling down in that they have he's already an outsider because he's from the city, but then they're doubling yeah. down on he's an outsider because he's also he's not just from the city. He's kind of a, a dilettante. He's a, he is a dilettante. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's just like a weird guy on top of that. Yeah, he, he he's he's not tough in the city. He's, he, so they just double down on that. And the other thing is that we talk. It reminded me a little bit of Cameron Diaz's character from The Holiday, where he's oh, yeah. still a really good-looking human being, where <laughs> it's just, and again, I'm not saying bad things don't happen to good-looking people and they can't have hard lives or whatever, That's I'm not saying that at all, but it's, you're, you're treating a Johnny Depp literally in his prime, and he looks like a handsome man, and you're treating him like he's some complete, out, like, I just don't get it, it just... Like the Cameron Diaz character in The Holiday, there's just something slightly off. And I don't know if this is some type of weird me being biased against good looking people, but something about those characters just don't match the level of how good looking the actors are, I think. Agreed. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, 
Uh, you could even almost say the same uh, sort of stuff about Christina Ricci. Uh, I know Winona Ryder was offered that part. Christina Ricci isn't bad in this movie. I've always found her to be an interesting actress, and like I, I, I think she's had a very odd career. <laughs> but um, I think that's an understatement. She, she, I, I actually think she's like not bad in this movie. Um, what it, but it's like the the whole story with her character that like does these like spells and charms and stuff and like you don't know if it's good or bad and then like the charm book ends up saving Depp at the end and you know it seems like they're kind of having a romance but it's like she's clearly like fifteen years younger than him. <laughs> it was yeah yes for all those reasons <laughs> there is an age gap between them in both real life I'm I'm sorry I'm just confirming it now. There's a 17-year age gap. So uh, that's... I'm not saying this is like 20 years ago. It's legal looking at their ages, but it's not... It would be frowned upon in most societies. Um, I I guess... I mean, if you're considering it a real period piece, it's a little more understandable. Yeah, to me, the age gap wasn't too egregious. Well, I guess... It didn't occur to me at that time just because I was also a teenager. And so I... Yeah. If that... If it... I understand that, but to, to me, I don't really see that as an issue. But however, I think Christina Ricci is really pretty. But at the time, I remember being surprised she was in it. Um, I just thought, at the time, I just thought someone else should be in it. And upon rewatch this, she is one of the few characters who I really like the more as, as time goes on, even this time. I like her more and more. I think she brings a really another interesting weird energy that kind of balances out Johnny Depp and a lot of the other things going on. Um, yeah. She gives you someone who's nice to root for, who's not a complete idiot like Depp and, and the, the boy who I like. Um, but I, in the nicest way possible, I think this could have been a bigger movie with a different actress. I'm not saying it's Winona Ryder, although I think she would have been great, but, but I, I think it's a little unfair to say to say she's doing a good job and someone can do better, but at the same time, like this movie wasn't quite as big as I remember it being, just looking at it and doing the research. So I think it could have had a little more oomph. It could have that's I mean I you know, another actress maybe, or if it, you know, another scene or something where she gets a, a bigger like, you know more to do on screen kind of thing where I, I felt like she was kinda of left uh, it's kind of like a sidekick almost. For I, most of well, I would agree because I like the concept of a good witch, but they never explain it. They're like, yeah, oh, I, it's a good it wasn't, witch. It's not, he doesn't go that deep on it, yeah. Um, did I, I wanted to, uh, did you know who was cons- another actor who was like seriously considered for the Ichabod Crane part? No, who wasn't? <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. That would have been I think that's a like movie. a completely different movie. <laughs> No, it's probably it probably wins an Oscar as a horror movie, but I don't think it. I, I don't see Daniel Day Lewis jumping and doing the zany wacky stuff on the carriage. I don't, know, I don't think he would have done that. I don't know what he would have done, but it's like uh, I, I think the whole tone of the movie could have been different. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a hundred percent. As I heard, Liam Neeson was like considered, which I could kind of see. I can see that. Those are, I mean, that's clearly a lot of different. He had a couple of visions in mind, it seems, because yeah. those yeah. are, although Liam Neeson might be able to pull this off. 
Um, I, but, I, I'm sure, like, he's familiar with depth. You know, if you work with Day-Lewis, that's, like, probably going outside Burton's comfort zone, honestly. I have a feeling that Burton didn't want to talk to a forensic scientist from 1799 off camera <laughs> for three months. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't want to do that. So that would definitely scare me away. So just, uh, yeah, it's just like maybe I don't want to deal with that guy for like six months of my life or something. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not trying to be rude, but he did marry Helena Bonham Carter, who started dating on set, which is totally fine. But he clearly likes to be comfortable on set. So that's true. I, I wonder why if she was considered for that for the Christina Ricci part. He, she's in every other movie. I bet she was, and he always puts <laughs> her up for the lead role in her movies. And that's a whole other topic. I like her. a that's lot. That's true. It's gotten a little ridiculous at, at this point. Yeah. I like her a lot. I think a lot of his movies would have been more successful without her. Sweeney Todd being one of them. I just she, too. Much. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Sweeney Todd. And the, she's a great actress, but when you're only in your husband's movies, like it's something's uh, there's something wrong. <laughs> So I'm sorry. That, I'm I'm gonna get up Helena Bottom Carter, and I think uh, Tim Burton should too. Okay, joke over. Um, do we want? We've been talking a lot about what we likes liked. Do we want to? Is there any? I have a couple more things I want to speak to, but before I bring them up, is there anything you you touched on a couple of them already? Is there anything? Uh, I think the one other sort of principal guy we didn't talk about is the executive producer ended up being Francis Ford Coppola, which I thought was interesting, just because it's like. Like you said, this movie wasn't as big as I don't. I think people thought it was going to be, and it wouldn't surprise me if Coppola lost some money or something. You know, it's like I don't think this kind of made what he thought it would having a Burton debt project like this. But I thought that was interesting that he ended up being the EP. That's interesting. I did not realize that. Um, I was going to actually talk about the cast a little bit more. Just, sure, sure. And not we're not going to go through all of them, but talking about the supporting cast especially the town elders first of all you have casper van dien as brom van brunt a strong and arrogant aristocratic man he's the one that plays the prank on him right yeah which was and that's another great scene it's it's just a great scene there's more great there are tons of great horse chases in this film which is you don't say that too often (laughs) you don't say that often enough and then you have so christopher lee as a cameo which was incredible yeah you got Michael Gambone, Miranda Richardson, Ian McDiarmid, who is an Emperor Palpatine, Jeffrey Jones, and for those who don't know him, he is the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? And who turned out to actually be a pretty bad dude, and he's in jail for yeah. Real he was, he's also he was in Beetlejuice. He's like another uh, yes. Tim Burton regular. And there are more. There's Martin Landau has a cameo, an uncredited cameo. And the, the one I just, what I wanted to say is it's a great cast. It's a bunch of British actors. They're all incredible. And you'll recognize all of them, even the ones who I didn't mention, because you've seen them in every Harry Potter film or they're the, it's basically the British, the Shakespeare British Royal Company. And it's great. And I'm not knocking it. And they really help ground what I think would otherwise, could otherwise a film that could just fly off the map. But to me, Christopher Walken and Ray Park, who actually gives a physical performance, uh, as I love, as the Headless Horseman. Oh, brutal. This, I, I created a new list of my favorite villains just because of this character, because I don't think he gets the love that he deserves. And he's either 9 or 10, I'm not sure. I haven't filled out the rest of the list. I just know he's on it. And walking... I was watching, so I, I was watching very closely, and I had... As far as I can tell, Christopher Walken did not have a real line in the movie. 
he just sort of grunts. He just goes, ah. And at one time he goes, shh. But I don't think he actually says anything. We gave Kevin Costner <laughs> a pretty hard time for not doing a British accent or trying to give us some weird British accent. Would you? I think it was pretty smart not having Christopher Walken give us his version of a German accent. I just, I don't know what his colonial Dutch sounds or colonial German sounds like, but I don't think it's a good. It was, uh, I, I thought it was, it was quite the performance. I thought it was clever stunt casting because you don't need him to speak because you don't humanize him. He, he is a MacGuffin. You find out you, the, the will is the MacGuffin initially. And then you find out he's actually the MacGuffin because he, he himself is a prop. And uh, I, I have some question about it, but I just loved the performance. I think the scenes of walking, he looks like a madman and I maybe give him too much credit, but those scenes are fun. And it, the way they treat him, the way they treat the character, they build up to him, all the scenes leading up to him, the, and you talk about atmosphere, the way they associate the atmosphere with him when the fog rolls in or when yeah. the light, lights dim when he is breaking into the house and that nightlight is spinning around, they just do a great job of creating this real terror around him. And I, that you got to give credit to everyone, not just to those two then, but it's to me, I just love the headless horseman and I, I had to give him some props. It's a, uh, uh, boy, it is a, um, there are over the top performances and then there's Christopher Walken with sharpened teeth on a horse, chopping heads off, just screaming. Uh, <laughs> I, I like uh, yeah I, I think there's like <laughs> I like that he just kind of like went for it but it, I think there's also a part of me that's like you know if you reeled this in a little bit and like maybe gave him a couple sinister lines when he actually has his head on his body or whatever I think that could play also but I get like I, I understand uh, your take there I like that you like it honestly Jake but uh <laughs> For me, it's a little just like too much of just like guy on a horse screaming, chopping heads. <laughs> it's just it's a it's a crazy performance, honestly. It's like uh, I if, if Christopher Walken watches this movie with a straight face, I'd I'd give him a hundred dollars on the spot because it's just like I don't think he could watch this without kind of laughing at himself a little bit. No, but I hear what you're saying. But that's kind of what I meant is you don't need to really humanize him. Because yeah, he's not meant to I dehumanize. He's a he's a he's dead <laughs> before the movie ever starts. Apparently, decades. So yeah. it's uh, then, you're right. Yeah, I do think Burton plays it very well. And in terms of like heightening tension and making it kind of actually scary in a horror movie, when he actually uses the headless horseman to kill people, it's pretty scary. And like you know, when the when they all kind of go into the church and they barricade themselves, there's this sense of like, yo, our weapons aren't working on this guy, and he's just gonna wait till we come out. And he's gonna chop our heads. Like there's this sense of like just impending doom. I thought the scene was incredible and in how he gets him out by spearfishing him. Oh, with, yeah, uh, that's the, great. Yeah. It was just so savage. And again, I, I think it's one of the things. Now, with all this being said, I I love the character in a fun way. I'm not. I don't think he is a deep or developed character, but he doesn't need to be. And part of that too is just one of the things I love about this film. And I'll talk into that when I wrap it up. Is that it, it blends, as I said before, some of my favorite things and some weird things. One of it being American history. And some of that is American propaganda. The, there really were German mercenaries who fought here and Germans who fought on both sides. Uh, and the Hessians, there was a lot of propaganda that depicted them like that. As bloodthirsty, invading tyrant. As, uh, yeah, so if, uh, I totally hear you. 
And I don't think he's making this with that scholar academic vein in mind. So I'm not going to bang on the drum too hard, but just saying that to me, I, I understand that character not needing that because that is how they viewed him at the time. They viewed yeah. all of the Hessians who fought against them on by the side of the British as monsters. So there would be just no need to humanize them because in that society, they wouldn't have humanized them because he was already a monster before he died. Right. I do think it's, yeah, it's interesting to kind of like the whole sort of American myth and like American stories. And like, this is one of the first really, uh, you know, true American literature stories and stuff. And so it's like to kind of bring that back to modern day. It's just interesting to me because it's like, uh, I, don't, I feel like we don't draw on that like early American literature as much as maybe we should or we used to. But there's definitely like, this is like an interesting story that like, I don't think, you know, if, if Burton had made this movie, I don't think people would like talk about, you know, we kind of grew up in an area near Sleepy Hollow. So I think we, maybe we would have known about it or like well, Red Washington Irving, but I'm not sure everyone would have known about this story. I remember reading it. I think it was read multiple times and we went to the same elementary school at one point, but this was a favorite because we were so close to Sleepy Hollow. So it yeah. was definitely big in Westchester, but this movie definitely brought it to, there was also another show called Sleepy Hollow on Fox for a couple seasons. Oh yeah, that's seasons. right. Yeah. So it's not really entered. This helped, I guess it elevated it from the initial time and it was, uh, but yeah, it, now it's really the headless horseman has become part of the. Zodiac. I can't. Yeah, I'm trying. I don't. I can't think of another movie. I think there may have been plays that were about Sleepy Hollow. Like I'm sure there's probably a stage play. Um, but it was known. But yeah, it, this definitely elevated it to, to a new level. Um, I really liked the early. We talked about the setting, and I agree. It's whether it's literature from that time or using it as a setting for movies. I think it's something. I think it's ripe territory, and I hope we start seeing more things set there. Yeah, I'm going. You didn't like the mystery plot around the last one, Testament. I actually didn't mind it, although I will say by the end, I totally forgotten about it. Once the reveal happens that it's really a revenge story, I kind of forgot. And even so, when I watched it this time, I think I said I'd seen this movie a few times. I don't think I realized that Van Garrett was the one who. I couldn't remember who everyone was in the whole play. So it, yeah. there's a lot of moving pieces and then there's a lot of betrayals. And I think it worked for me to keep the movie going until that 50, 55 minute mark when everything kind of takes off. But at the same time, I, th I yeah. wish I could move it into a third bucket of, of miles because <laughs> it's it works effectively for what they're trying to do. But you're right. It's not... A really smart mystery it's just a convoluted mystery it's one of those things i think there's like a different version of the movie um where you're much more involved in the the mystery and the plot of it and sort of like trying to figure out who uh is behind all the the killings and everything but um it, like you said sort of like when the reveal happens in the movie i it's not like i cared that much or like, you know, I wasn't like, oh, I was trying to put that piece together and then figure it out. I was like, I was p trying to pay attention to the different, you know, it's like he keeps talking about these five different killings, basically. And he tries to connect the dots between them. And eventually he, he puts together that it's, it has to do with this will and this person's killing off all the people that uh, the will could potentially go to, basically. Um, but it's, I mean, to me, 
Burton leaned leaned into the right aspects of what he's doing because I think he knew that that like the atmosphere and the cinematography and like the tone of the movie was the strength of it, and I think he he probably realized that like the mystery wasn't that engaging. I mean, it's an extra piece of it, but it's not as engaging as like a different kind of you know. It's not like Chinatown or something. <laughs> I know what you mean, and I'm sorry for anyone who hears that beeping. It feels like. They didn't make a book. They made a theme park ride, and it yeah. works. And I'm not doing yeah. that as a knock because I like it, but I know what you mean. It's and I, I guess that's what I meant by that. The movie picks you up with that opening murder, and then it just kind of keeps propelling you forward. And it's really like almost like a theme park story because when you go back and look at all the pieces, you're like, wait, what? That doesn't totally yeah. make sense. But you're being whisked there off were... to the next set piece before you can figure it out. There were times too where I was like, this is very kind of Sherlock Holmesy. But like in early America or something. I like that aspect, and you mentioned that before. I really like how they had the CSI and how they made him as an investigator, yeah. and I think it just added a good tension into the story that would naturally could lead to him resolving it, and it also just fleshed out the character itself, even from the initial Irvin Washington story, making him filling out the Hessian character, giving it the background. Not that, yeah. that not that as we said, the the whole twist behind it being the daughter of the people who were kicked out of the cottage because then Garrett kicked them out so Van Tassel couldn't move in and they never even knew them and then it just gets more convoluted from there but um yeah I mean oh, uh, yeah what were you going to say what, what did you think of the uh the, <laughs> the, the scene where the skull is thrown back to Christopher Walken and he like puts it back on his head and you have this like reverse uh raiders of the last Ark thing happened where it's like ed re-comes to life i i thought it might have been early cgi but that was quite the moment uh, uh right there it was early cgi <laughs> and the cgi in this film for how great the practical effects and scenery is and even some of the camera work and the effects they use for the fog those are all top yeah notch. yeah but the the that scene along with the scene of the evil sister or the good sister witch whose face has snakes coming out of it those cgi scenes are are so bad and they've aged poorly and it's it, it took me out of it a bit i mean it's, i'm not gonna dock it too much at the end of the day but yeah those scenes some of the cgi was, was pretty brutal yeah it was that was crazy oh uh, a question i had uh the girl that cuts her hand right and yeah. she's like making out with someone on the hill was that like just like to make the sex better, or was that like a pagan ritual thing? I couldn't quite put together what was happening. So it was Miranda Richardson, who was Lady yeah. Van, Lady Mary Van Tassel, who ends who, up being the true villain, kind of. Yes, who uses the name Preston, but is in fact Archer. So that's oh, three right. names for one character. Not confusing. <laughs> when I was not keeping track of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and she, I don't. The scene you're talking about is when she is banging the reverend and she cuts. So first of all, that happens before the reveal, which also kind of ruined the reveal that comes yeah, 10 minutes later. Yeah, because you're kind of like, something's going on with this one. <laughs> I don't know exactly what that was for, but my imagination was that was either marking the reverend for death. Hmm. My feeling is it seemed like she was able to seduce all of the men in the group outside of their agreement. Some yeah. with sex, some with other things. I'm imagining that was part of some ritual or process to mark them for death or to somehow get them. Now that is, 
completely made up from my own mind and like just extrapolating from other stories and guessing. So not dying on that hill and, and it's a big reach. I think another what's more likely is it could just be a little plot glue for them to uh so she can use that to later it comes back when he sees her with it. So yeah. Yeah. So I have a couple questions for you, Seth. Sure, sure. Katrina and Ichabod. Let's call them Ikatrina as a couple. Are they okay. gonna make it? Um are they gonna make it? <laughs> well, judging from the time period and whatnot, I think uh Ichabod gets her pregnant and then he kind of goes on a national tour after solving this headless horseman case, he kind of goes on a national tour talking about criminology and whatnot. Uh, kind of leaves her back at home to raise the family. He probably, you know, flanders while he's on the road, but then, you know, comes back to New York and uh, lives out a, a normal life. <laughs> that's really sweet. I was just looking for a yes or a no, but yeah, that's, we'll go with that. That's, uh, I'm not going <laughs> to argue with that. You put a lot of thought into that. Um, very nice. Uh, second question. Hessian. Bad guy or noble warrior? They said he didn't fight for money. And they oh. said they fought for love of blood, but did that that mean to me that means the, the, the glory of battle? Uh I don't know much, Jake, but when you got a guy with vampire teeth and a sword slicing heads, uh that's a bad guy in my book. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna put I'm gonna put him in my maybe column. So that's one bad guy and one maybe. Um I just I, I want to give him a better. I liked shot. I liked my take that uh that Thanos. I think I was closer on my take that Thanos was a good guy. <laughs> I don't argue with a Thanos take. There's a very real argument for Thanos, but I mean the Hessian. Maybe he had a wife and kids he had to feed. Maybe they get paid by the head. Has Who the knows? guy ever heard of taking prisoners? You know POWs. <laughs> Okay, that's I can't Boys argue with that. I can't I can't argue with that, Seth. I'll give it to you. I'll give I'll give you that. Um all right. One more question. Is this does this film have the best horse chase scenes since Ben Hur? Oh, oh my. Um I haven't fully thought about this, I guess. Well, I didn't um, either. I didn't do any research. I was just going to say yes. So uh, I'm sure there's some Western, you know, Butch and Sundance has some good chase scenes with horses, uh, you know. I, I did don't anyone know. throw flaming pumpkins? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, do love that that scene where they prank him is like really funny. <laughs> um, okay. The, the only other question I have is would you see the sequel? The sequel? Uh... Is the sequel like Ichabod Crane on a different case, or is the sequel like The Headless Horseman back out there? It could be whatever you want, Seth. It could be. Uh, well, I think just... it's got to be a little bit. I think it's got to be like someone digs up that tree, right? Finds the skull and starts doing some weird witch shit. Uh, and then they go home and Ichabod Crane from New York to solve the case again. I think you'd have a sequel. Uh, so I'd be on board with that. I think at that point, you need Christina Ricci to be like a more powerful, uh, like, spells person. Uh, and you need Depp to be like deeper into his career, more, more. <laughs> Why more not? He could be the police chief of Sleepy Hollow. She could be the head of a witch coven. They need to join oh, forces to stop a new evil. 
Interesting. And is he, Casper Van Dien? Did Van Dien make it through the movie? I can't even remember. No, he gets he iced. He died, didn't he? Yeah. He gets iced pretty quickly. <laughs> although, although he gives a, he gives a good fight. Well, that's a good fight scene between him and the Headless Horseman. That's, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, well, the good news is you can have Walken back. <laughs> that's what I mean. You can bring them all back. You can age them up, have their kids in it. It's 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 ripe. Ripe for I the I guess picking. he could still do it. I think there's still a window there. I feel like he's going to want to cast Helena Bonham Carter as Johnny Depp's daughter, though, even though they're the same age. Helena Bonham Carter is the Headless Horseman's wife. <laughs> <laughs> The handless, the handless woman. <laughs> she has a hook where a hand used to be. That also, the one uh, criticism, I think you usually bring this up, but I'll say this. This was a very white movie. I don't think there was one person of color uh, in the movie. Yeah, I didn't say this. And this was a time where there were minorities in New York. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe not all of them. I mean, but... even a couple, like, farmhands or, you know, people working the houses. I don't know. There were... Yeah, there was there was more diversity than yeah people realized. The, yes, a hundred percent. That's very fair. And you could easily fit them in. There are a lot of serving characters. There's just and I'm not saying they need to be servants, but just given the time, right. that's an easy yeah, way to get exactly. them in. And yeah. also, a lot of the serving characters are, are quote unquote good characters in that they have good roles. There's development. There's arcs. There's so I would just mean that there's a good fit there an easy way to fit them in if you want to be quote-unquote if you don't want to have them as the town elders which, which i understand the historical argument but at the same time yeah. there was also never really a headless horseman so i don't think we need to be too worried about historical accuracy. there was that one character who's like the younger boy um that's kind of it's kind of like his like depth assistant or something and i was kind of like well he, i couldn't figure he was the guy i was referring to as, a, as one of the better yeah. roles he's got like a great yeah. role his name is mark spaulding it's jonathan Nesbitt. yeah yeah he looks like a Spalding. Um, but yeah, it's like that. You, there's, you could have found a place to get a little diversity in here. But it's a, it was a white movie. Very whitewashed. That's common to Burton, though. Yeah, that's true. That's very common. And that's we, that, we have some common gripes here against directors that recur. That, that's, one I, that's the one I have with him, and that seems to come up a lot with him. Whatever, for whatever reason, he, he just doesn't have a lot of representation. In his films. I think the last question I have for you, Seth, is actually that may do it. We, we may have answered all my questions. I like that we're kind of both on the same page with the Jacks be some commonalities or some connection to Jack Sparrow. It definitely feels like that like acting wise, that's like the direction he's headed. Pre precursor is what I meant to say before. Yeah. For this character, it's not. It, there's just some things it feels like he's working on, that that he's working up to, I should say. Um, yeah, I think this film. I I really like it. It's. I mean, when you combine American Revolutionary history, Westchester towns, some famous <laughs> horror literature, Headless Horseman, Starcrossed Lovers. Awesome chase scenes. Like you're yeah, I'm in sword fights, I'm in. I'm all in. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah. I, so one criticism I'd give it, I don't think it's that deep of a movie. 
I think there's a lot of like history and uh, you know, I think there's a lot of great atmosphere and stuff in it. But I think like by the, at the end of the day, when like the horseman goes back inside that tree, I didn't have some sort of revelation or anything. You know what I mean? It's not like, I don't really know what to make of it. I know just what you mean. Cause when he let my takeaway from the film initially and still today is the horseman wasn't that bad a guy. He hated her too. <laughs> He went hot take. He he went home when his as soon as he could. He <laughs> killed her, ended the threat, and took her to hell. He, what more do you want from the guy? He just the guy lives in hell because he was chopping heads off <laughs> in war, in battle. I'm at it's, it's Look, God. God already gave his say. He, the guy lives in hell. You know that he was already judged. That doesn't mean he can't do a good thing. Oh, I like that. Even if you're in hell, you can still do a good thing. <laughs> I, I was glad. My takeaway was, hey, he has some honor by totally betraying this person who, who he was working for. But still, some honor. I know what you mean, though, about it not being deep. And I forgot to mention this. One gripe I do have, and I think it is really what ultimately hurts the movie now for me as I'm coming, as I score it, and why I think looking at it now with a more critical eye as to in past viewings and initially the relationship, the heart of the movie is supposed to be the backstory of his mom and dad. His mom is another good witch. Yeah. They kind of have flashbacks. Yeah. Never really explained though. You don't need to with the imagery, but at the same time, she's a good witch and his dad is clearly a serial killer or some type of sadistic murderer. He's an iron maiden kills the mom by throwing her in an iron maiden. Let's the son find the body. And then that's it. Like, what's the rest of his childhood like? There's just that was a gross scene too, where like all the blood comes out of that, and it, that's how he gets the marks on his hand or something. It, it, if this is the Daniel Day Lewis movie, the whole film's about that. <laughs> that's true. It's it's all about that, and so I, it, I again, it works and it's effectively moves the story. But I hear you; it's not as good as I think it could have been. Yeah, and I'm not saying that every movie has to be super deep, but it's just sort of like um, if there's no subtext, it's it's hard to like make the movie memorable, I guess, for me. I agree. Yeah, I I do think it's okay to make movies for the sake of being fun, and yeah. and this movie feels like it's trying to be more in that vein. Although I will, just to your point, the de- the decapitations, it feels more like a B movie almost. And I don't mean that as a critique, just maybe ex- exploitation films better. Uh, I'm clearly... I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to... Uh, most of the time I'd be like, Burton's just an artistic guy and he finds art out of like, you know, you can find it in all his movies, so find art out of like uh, grotesque things. But like the decapitations get to a point in this movie where it's just kind of like... Uh... <laughs> it's like gothic... <laughs> much. Go- gothic romance horror... Yeah. Absurdity. Yes, yeah. Uh, and it it works, but I think it's a very fair critique to say that it it's not trying to do more and at a certain point I'm not even saying you add 20 minutes, just add a little subtext, shoot some things differently. I I, I hear you. I think it's a fair argument. And for me, I, I kind of articulated on that story with the mom i just think it's really underserved yeah. and to me i think that's where they're trying to really hit on that heart that emotion build that character and that relationship it doesn't work for me it's it's just secondary throughout the entire film it, they don't give it the, the 
the service it deserves, I think, to have the effect they want. And now looking back at it, that's why I described it as a theme park ride before and not really a that's story. A, yeah, that's a better description. I also think on first watch, like, it's pr it probably holds up better in terms of tension and, and like, actual horror and scariness and stuff. Because I do think that a lot of the early scenes with the horsemen and everything, it's like, it is pretty scary. Like, he does do a good job of, like, building tension and then releasing that horseman and then slicing someone's head off. It's like, like it all works well. When he attacks the couple and the small child in the house, I remember that scene being really tense in the theaters. Yeah. And it was tense now. It's one of the better, and again, it's this horror action scene. It's it's scary, and it was, I, I liked it. There are a lot of things I like about it, but yes, it it could do more. And I'm not saying it needs to be going for an Oscar, but I think yeah. it could have done a better job building a little more heart into a film, especially when you have this much violence. So I think that's a fair critique from you. Thank you. <laughs> Don't you want to go to that office? You got anything else? Uh, I have a couple burn. I just have a burn question for you. Okay. What yeah. What happened to him? Is Is he doing what he wants? Is this where he envisioned his career? I just. <laughs> I got a couple theories on him. Um, I actually know the college he went to was Cal Arts, uh, film school, which is like kind of a famous, uh college near los angeles a lot of uh like high art types of people went there i guess um oh, you know i forgot that he like did the peewee movies i love i'm a big fan of peewee's big adventure i know before i said one of his three best movies has got to be batman uh beetlejuice or scissorhands i would also throw in peewee's big adventure into that group but to me burton's a guy that's so weird um it doesn't surprise me that he has like had a really not a super rough period but just a period where he's not as hot as he was before i mean the run he has from 85 to 99 basically where it's like Wee's big adventure beetlejuice batman scissorhands batman returns edward mars attacks sleepy hollow even planet of the apes in 2001 it's like that's quite a run for 15 plus years and so i would have big fish yeah, Big Fish. I'm not a huge Big Fish fan. I'm not either, but it is... It, Actually, it I'm looking at it. It didn't make that much money, so you can take it off. You, we can take but it off. The, the whole period post-2000s with him, it's like, he took some shots at things, you know. He tried to do Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I mean, he tried to do Dumbo recently, which could have been huge and ended up being a huge flop, but it's like, you can't make something like Scissorhands or Beetlejuice or Pee-wee's Big Adventure and not have flops like that. And so I think it's more just like he was hot for a period and now he's cold. More so than like a guy who's lost it. Like, I think he totally has all his skills still. I see he's got Beetlejuice 2 <laughs> announced to come out. I don't know what that's going to be like. But I I would actually, if I was like a betting person, I would bet that he has a movie at some point uh, that comes back around to being really good. Because I actually think... He's such a weird guy that it, it's like he should have a bunch of flops, kind of. <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair argument. But I, the last movie of his I really liked was Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. And I'm willing to concede the last good, successful movie he made was Alice in Wonderland because it made a billion dollars. But after that, so that came out in 2010. Since then, he's made Dark Shadows, Frank and Weenie, which... I actually haven't seen, so I can't speak to that. It, it wasn't super successful, though, in terms of box office, but it could have made money on the back end. So that doesn't necessarily mean it is not 
successful, but then it's big eyes, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, Dumbo, and they're not awful films, but the only thing I'll say against your point for Dumbo, and I'm adding Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children in this, <laughs> Disney reboots have been crushing it. They're making, on average, bil- billions of dollars. The Lion King reboot, the Aladdin. Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, they're all raking it in. And I'm not saying that that means Dumbo is going to be. I don't think Dumbo is as well-remembered as the rest of them. But at the same time, like, the movie, it, it did okay. I'm Those being, Disney I'm, movies, yeah, it's like... I'm being hard on them. I'm being pretty hard on it right now. Like, the, Dumbo wasn't... Dumbo made some, some solid money. It, it what I'll say, two, I'll say times it's but budget. it's like, artistically, he hasn't done anything very interesting since, like, Sleepy Hollow, Planet of the Apes. Like, Planet yeah. of the Apes was an interesting project to take on for him because it was like, wow, this guy who's, like, this super gothic uh, director is going to do this subject that, like, we haven't seen since the 70s. And people kind of forgot that because there's been a reboot of that franchise since then. But it's like, artistically, he should be taking chances like that, where it's like he's doing something original uh, outside the box that other people aren't doing. And like the Dumbo thing is like the epitome of like you're doing a Disney movie that was successful as a cartoon. It's actually one of my favorite Disney cartoons to watch. I think it was I think I've watched the live action version of it once with Brooklyn and like we both didn't really like it. But uh, it's like. I mean, whatever. He, he's made a ton of money. I can understand why he was doing that after the Alice in Wonderland experience and stuff and just, like, how much money he can make on those types of movies. But, like, artistically, he needs to go back to just, like, taking chances and being as original as he can because that's, like, what made him successful in the first place. I agree. Or if he's going to walk in some IP, I'd rather him do something more interesting, like do an Insidious film. Or do, that would be interesting. I don't would think... you, you'd rather him do that than Beetlejuice 2? No, if he wants to do Beetlejuice 2, I'd say do Beetlejuice 2. I also yeah. think that that's a great place. To, I don't want to see him do Alice in Wonderland 2 or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory 2. No, yeah. I do. It's like I want to see him making adult movies. That's another thing. It's like it's interesting that he, he's dipped his toes in kid movies, but like he's much more of an interesting director when he's doing adult movies, in my opinion. I agree. And I wouldn't mind him stepping into the R territory. I, I, it doesn't need to be the things I said. To your point, I want him to do something more interesting. I'm not smart enough to know what that is. I'm just smart enough to know I want it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like I didn't know that I wanted Pee Wee's Big Adventure or Edward Scissorhands, but like he gave those to me. So it's like I want to get back to that. Like, give me something I didn't even know I wanted. That's. I just think of Tarantino, and uh, I liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The thing I liked most about it was it wasn't what I expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's what. Yeah, it's like surprised me with something. Yeah, and if it's good, and I'm, and if it's good, and as long as it's not a complete one eighty psych out like Last Jedi, where you're literally winking at me and joking, laughing at me in the film, I'm fine with it. Just make it good. Burton's also a guy. It's like you know he used to be such a hot like young up and comer, but now it's been such a long time with him. But he still could have the, a rebound. You know, if he made two or three good movies in a row, we would be talking about him a lot differently, even in comparison to guys like Tarantino. Like, if he made two or three good movies in a row, suddenly you look at his resume and you start talking about his early movies. And then, you know, it's like it's not that hard for him to rebound from where he is, just in terms of artistically, you know what I mean? No, he's like, again, we'll use a sports analogy. He's like a pitcher who goes to the majors at 20, 21. 
because then right. you know, like, he may have two or three revivals. Where, yeah, exactly. And we've seen it with our – I won't go through them, but there are a lot of Yankee pitchers, especially left-handers, who have multiple – who have two yeah. or three career yeah. arcs. Yeah, I could also see him doing like a Netflix show or like a series. I could see him doing like a prestige show. I think that's where he should – I would prefer to see his talents on one of those. I think it would be better suited – there letting him do the weird stuff he likes uh, not that yeah, I and just kind of go deep on something yeah oh god give us a call tim burton we'll uh we'll get you back on track <laughs> should we uh should we do final scores sure sure final scores i might need to dock mine a bit because the number here just does not correlate to the way i've been speaking to this film uh, do you want me to go first yeah i need you to go first just cause... okay um so just because sometimes little... like if i i, I sometimes I don't have two numbers in mind like I sometimes do, but I just need to see how off base I am. So this will. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a little disoriented. The, the most disorienting and like hardest part to judge to me is the Johnny Depp performance in this movie. Um, but I do think the rest of the cast is strong. It's a it's a good ensemble beyond that. The walking thing we we talked about. It's a very. I mean, look, I love walking, so I'm not gonna like dock at points for that. But it's kind of a crazy performance. Um, the direction and the the art direction and all the settings like pretty top notch. Like this is a lead as you get in terms of like practical effects and creating like you know uh, a setting like that in Sleepy Hollow and just using the fog and everything and the lighting. I really liked. Um, so all of that, I'm giving it points to. I think I'm settling at like a six point seven. Um, it's it's not my favorite Tim Burton movie. Although it is like it's the peak of it's like him and Depp both are like have big big value, um, and it's like what Burton leads in leans into what's good about it, and he kind of strips away the weaker parts. But it ends up it it leads you to talking about like well there's you know there's not much subtext to it or I'm not that into the mystery, but at the same time it's like you can't really get enough of the atmosphere or watching the headless horseman slice heads off and stuff. And uh, the other thing I do give a points for is like, he does create actual horror and suspense and it's really the first time he was in the horror genre. So 6.7 for me. Okay. That's higher than I thought. So I'm going to stick with the score I put down. Okay. And before I say this, Seth, I just want you to know it's getting two big bumps here, namely from the nostalgia value from remembering seeing it in theaters, really liking it. And also I saw it with my sister too. So she's getting a little double, double, double nostalgia bonus there. So it's, I'm giving it an eight. Oh, wow. Nice. With the caveat that, as I said before, you're looking at more as a theme park ride than a real deep, story movie yeah yeah uh, like i'm just in it for the thrills yeah yeah you want a little mystery you want some busty corsets you want some sword fights some some horse chases best horse chases you've seen in years and it's got it decapitations it's got it seth weird autopsies everything you want yeah. everything you yeah. can possibly want and it just it, it's weird and it feels to me like the best of burton again not saying it's his, his peak but it's the best of Burton's weirdness and his weirdness is the gel for all these disparate parts. And I think it ends up being more than the sum of its parts. And again, giving it some serious nostalgia bonus points. So <laughs> giving it an eight. <laughs> Good score. I like it. Heard it here first folks. Well, all not right. really, Cause it came out 20 years ago, but you heard it. 
So, all right. I think that does it for me, Seth. Do you want to say anything? That's all, folks. Goodbye. I, I think that's trademarked. <laughs> <laughs>